2: Welcome to the program. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send your questions in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top. Of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching Leviticus chapter 14 and maybe chapter 15. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But that's at seven o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Leviticus 14 and maybe 15. Uh, So we'll we'll get into that as best we can. And then, of course, tomorrow uh, will be our first date day uh, program in the month of October. Uh, Paula will be live in studio and we would love your comments and questions. uh, Or if you just need to be encouraged, Paula is the one to do that. And I'm sure she'll have a lot to share. She uh, just got back from our uh, pastor's wives retreat. I haven't even seen her yet. Uh, But she will, uh, she'll be back tomorrow and I'm sure have a lot to share. Okay, let's get to questions that have been sent in while we are awaiting uh, your phone calls. The first one is anonymous from our mobile app. Good afternoon. This is an embarrassing question. Is it wrong if sometimes I have one glass of wine to help me get in the mood, mood is in quotes, for my husband? Thank you. Now, there shouldn't be anything embarrassing about this question. So, one, there's nothing sinful about having a glass of wine. Now, I might suggest, and in fact, I will suggest a couple of other things, but, um, you know, the Bible doesn't say that that's sin. Drinking moderately is not sinful. Not sure that it's ever good for us, but it's not sinful. Now, here's what, what I would say. And again, I want to emphasize, that this shouldn't be embarrassing. The sexual relationship between a husband and wife is to be beautiful. It's to be passionate. It's to be enjoyed without guilt. Uh, and so um, I think it's it's uh, something that you should should actually look forward to. And I think the idea is we ought to be in the mood always. Now, I realize there are things going on in your lives. Um, but But here's what I would do. If you know that uh, this is going to be the day or this is going to be the night that you're going to have intimacy. Um, I would suggest, and I don't mean to sound super spiritual here, but this is important. I would suggest that you just go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I want to please my husband so much. I want you to empower me. I want you to make this enjoyable because after all, sex is a gift from God. And I think that's the way we should approach it. So it shouldn't be something that we have to work ourselves up into. It's just something that we really need to be able to say, Lord, this is your gift to me. And this is my opportunity to love my husband the way you want him to be loved. So Lord, here I am. My body is a vessel. Use me. Now, let me share something that is embarrassing to me and I think edifying to Paula. You know, before I got saved and I was um, uh, physically, I was obese, um, but but I just never treated her kindly. I mean, Paula didn't even know that she was loved. Um, and she would say, she'd write these things down in her journal. She would say, Lord, um, I, I, it doesn't feel beautiful. It feels ugly. It feels sexy. At one point, she said, uh, having sex with Ron is like having sex with the devil. And 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 she would say, Lord... I don't want to do this. And he would just gently say to her, I want to love Ron and I want to do it through you. Will you be my vessel? Will you be someone that I can use? And in offering her body to the Lord in that way, God was able to take um, a situation that was not pleasant and and um, Paula knew that the Lord was there with her. And eventually, of course, God used her to win me to Christ. So I think that's really important. And please, Anonymous, don't ever feel embarrassed by doing this. But the short answer to your question is no, I think there's a better answer. And that's to go to the Lord and let him be the one who puts you in the mood. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Glenn on line one from San Antonio. Glenn, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron.
3: Hope you're having a good day. Uh I, I I got a question that came to me uh the other day I was in the car and I was listening to David Jeremiah and he was talking about the end times and the rap, uh the rapture of the church and in 1st Thessalonians when it says uh uh for the Lord himself will come down from heaven I'm reading in chapter 4 around verse 16
4: mm-hmm. for the
3: Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, uh, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. uh, My question, it centers on a cremation. And uh, I've heard you talk about uh, cremation, and I, I think I know... Uh, your thoughts on that. And uh, I agree with you, and that's what uh, my wife and I are planning on having. But when I heard him talk about that, and I looked here in the, in the verse, and uh, when you read, first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Well, cremation, those ashes, you know, they're not going to be in any grave or any worse. I mean, help me a little bit. Can you give me some clarity? on my question there, or am I still okay? Am I thinking about Mm -hmm. cremation?
2: Yeah. Thank you, Glenn. A couple of things. I I think one, one, the context of the of the First Thessalonians passage, I think, has to be considered here, and that the the situation Paul was addressing, uh, and it was a letter that was sent supposedly from him, and it was stirring up some trouble in Thessalonica. Uh, the, The question was, they were so expecting the return of the Lord, and when people started dying. Um, in, in, uh, uh, and Jesus obviously hadn't come back. Well, those who were spreading the, the, the false rumors about something that Paul supposedly said, what they were saying is, look, if they died, I guess they just missed out. And that was causing a lot of problems. And that's really the reason that first and second Thessalonians both deal with, um, the, the rapture of the church. No, don't worry about it. And I think a better translation of the passage, not from their graves, Um, But a better translation is those of us who are alive will certainly not precede the old King James uses the word prevent, but it meant the same thing will not precede those who have died. And all it means is that the people who died are going or will be with Jesus first because they're already there we know that to to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord so the idea that well you don't have to worry about those who have died they're already there and i think the the uh, the translation that they will rise from their graves is is uh, a little bit off in terms of the context so Um, Glenn, as you've heard me say, uh, Paula and I are going to be cremated. Uh, I just can't imagine that there's any um, value in wasting a ton of money on a funeral or being planted in the ground. Uh, We're told that the sea will give up the dead in it. So you don't have to be in a grave. Um, The minute we leave these bodies, we're in the presence of the Lord and and the idea isn't that all of the graves are going to open and the and the physical bodies are going to catch up with the spirit bodies uh, that are already in heaven that's not at all what we're told we will be fully with the Lord in our physically glorified resurrected bodies and our bodies. John says will be like his glorious resurrected body, except for the, the, uh, uh, scars. So, um, yeah, you're fine. That, that I, I just think that is a mischaracterization of that translation. And I'd be interested Glenn in what translation that is. Um, I'm not looking at, I can't see mine right now, but, um, we're fine with cremation. Uh, again, once we leave these old bodies, what happens to it makes no difference at all. So thank you, Glenn. Appreciate it. Context is always important. Let's go to Alan from San Antonio Online too. Alan, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you?
2: I'm doing How well, Alan. Good to hear from you.
4: Hi. 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 i everything's doing okay with you. And they had a call for me and- Keep praying for each other. Thank you. Uh, I hope your eyes are doing okay, too. I pray for your eyes all the time when I pray, so uh,
2: God bless you. I appreciate it, man.
4: Had a, just had a just for the sake of a Bible study whenever I teach Bible studies to somebody that uh, in the Old Testament about legalism, when they caught the old man picking up sticks in the, on the Sabbath, and then they put him to death, and then Aaron was put to death on Mount Hor, um, and things like that. I always believed in my heart that uh, God just did that as an example, just to show an example to the law for people, but that these people actually went to heaven. And I was convinced about that. But I just wanted to ask somebody who probably knows more about that than me. If the the, the punishment fits the crime in the old man who was picking up the sticks, that really wasn't so bad, and then things like that—that that people who were put to death in the Old Testament—that I believe they were in heaven. And if I were teaching a Bible study, I would convince someone that that that's true. So <clears throat> I hope I phrased the question well.
2: Let me be sure I'm not I'm not misunderstanding you. Who who, who are you saying the people in the Old Testament were put to death? In, in what what manner are you talking about?
4: Like uh, with. uh, like, like the old man who was picking up the sticks on the Sabbath, and then they found him and they and they uh, they caught him, and then uh, Moses uh, inquired of the Lord, and they had him put to death. And so I was sure that that crime, you know, wasn't something that the person would go to hell for, something like that. And yeah.
2: uh, and and certain that you're not talking about a Bible story there.
4: The, yeah, the one, the story in the Bible, yes. And so my question was: Would would this person go to hell? Uh, would somebody like that go to hell? Or even with Aaron, with uh, Aaron the priest, when he was told to go to Mount Hor, and then they, you know, he was uh, he was executed there. Uh, people in circumstances like that in the Old Testament, um, I believe that God, you know, they got to go to heaven, uh, and they were they were spared, but they had to lose their lives in the old testament because of the strictness of the law and they had to be made examples of and
2: yeah i i think i I think i understand your question alan thank you very very much Uh, a couple of things one I, i i need the chapter and verse reference for the man who's picking up sticks uh, so I could look at the story. Uh, but but Aaron, of course, Aaron was just done. He completed uh, his course. When God sent him away, it was to die. Moses, we also know, uh, was sent away to look at the promised land. And then the Lord buried his body. And, of course, they are in heaven for sure. Um, but, but God, I think, makes it very clear in his word, Alan, that the people who die in the Old Testament— uh, if they die uh, a natural death uh, and they were they were people that followed the lord uh, then of course they would go to the place called paradise uh, that Jesus tells us about in a story in Luke chapter sixteen, but many many people in the Old Testament died uh because they they were overrun by sin, and in fact, the whole canaan campaign uh people were 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 literally put to death by Joshua and his armies um as a judgment from God, so depending on why they died now, picking up a stick is certainly not a sin uh, but but whether or not someone goes to heaven isn't determined by what they do. The The question of heaven is going to be determined by, um, did they worship God? Are are they, what we would call them in the New Testament construct, believers? Or in the Old Testament, are they people that have been um, um, made righteous by faith, uh, as was the case with Abraham? But certainly when Aaron, when Aaron will see in heaven, um, um, I mean, there's going to be so many interesting conversations that we're going to have in heaven, and a whole new perspective of of the things that happen in the Bible and what people are going through. But I'm I'm just not picking up, and this is probably my fault, Ellen. I'm just not picking up on the uh, the the man picking up sticks. Thank you, Alan. Good to hear from you. I always enjoy that. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from um, Diana from our email inbox. Um, we have a good friend who feels he's called to be a pastor. This young man has a zeal for God, and we want to encourage him to fulfill his calling. What do you think is the best advice for a starting pastor? And are there any books besides the Bible that you think would help him Thank you for any advice on this matter, Diana. Diana, thank you for being such an encourager for this young man. Believe me, um, when you first realize that you're called to be a pastor, there is a combination of, of terror and excitement. It is a wonderful calling. And believe me, uh, if he's really called to be a pastor, there's going to be all kinds of spiritual warfare that he's going to encounter. So he's always going to need people like you. Around him. so let him know that you're praying for him, that you're there uh, to encourage him and um, um, uh, that you'll be a great source of comfort for this young man. Regarding uh, the, the advice for a starting pastor, the most important thing is you've got to love God's word. I would tell this young man, if it were me talking to him, I'd say, you got to bathe in God's word. When I got saved, and I was about six months older than the Lord when I received my call to be a pastor. And I knew it beyond any doubt, even though I didn't really know what a pastor did. Um, um, but, but, but Diana, I, I couldn't get enough of the word. Uh, I And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to sound spiritual. My situation is a little unique because the Lord knew that at some point I was going to lose my vision. So um, I, I had to kind of make up in advance for things that were going to happen that I didn't have any inkling about. And I would spend literally 10 to 12 hours a day in the Word. I would go to this uh, library at the School of Theology uh, and, and just immerse myself in the word, immerse myself in studying questions that would come up, um, uh, doctrines that I didn't really understand. Man, I would just dig in and, and really, really, really studying the word. Um, he's He's got to be um, a, a man who is going to take his orders from the Lord. Uh, I would encourage him with Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 42 through the end of the chapter, because his job is described there to teach people the word. They they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine. So he's got to be a workman, rightly dividing the word. Uh, The word of God has got to be his anchor, uh, his compass point for everything that he does in his life. And uh, it will be a thrilling time for him Well, in, in those first, I don't know, couple of years uh, after knowing I was called to be a pastor. Um, I couldn't wait to get in the word because I knew I just knew that God was going to speak to me. That day, he have something new, something fresh for me. That day and learning is so exciting, and so he's really got to devour the word. Uh, in, in the next year, he ought to read the Bible completely through at least twice. You can do that if you read 10 chapters a day. I know that because I did it, and um, uh, just get an overview of the Bible and then really start digging in. And then I would encourage him to wrestle with the theological or the doctrinal questions. Don't avoid them. Dig in deep and wrestle with things. If you don't understand it, pour your heart out to the Lord. Say, no, I don't understand this. Doctrine of uh, predestination or election, um, other doctrines. Just really dig in and wrestle with those doctrines and find some um, footing where you know where you can stand firm this is what it says this is what it means and i'm, I'm going to know it so that's the first thing diana the second thing is he's got to love god's people and the way you can love god's people one is to begin praying for him having the faith to understand that romans 5 5 says god's love is poured out into our hearts by the holy spirit and then we got to withdraw that love and what we've got to do is truly love god's people and that means we've got to love them enough to tell them the truth. We've got to love them enough to, to pray for them. Um, we've got to love them enough to carry their burdens, to set aside those little things that drive us crazy about people sometimes. You've really got to ask Jesus to give you his love for the people. And for me, Diana, the approach that took is um, um, I couldn't walk past somebody Without wondering if they were saved or not, and so that led to a lot of conversation. I just asked people, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just walking and praying, and I, I felt like the Lord was speaking in my heart. Uh, do you know who Jesus is? Are you are you a born again Christian? And that's the third thing. Tell him to share his faith. He needs to be active in sharing his faith, and when he does, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon him. And believe me, it will be the most exciting thing. One final thing here, Diana, there was a lady in my life who she she always and, and she was very direct. She loved me and I knew she did, but she was very direct with me. She said, I can't believe you're called to be a pastor because you seem to be excited about it. And I just said, I am excited. But she said, well, every pastor I've ever known had to be pulled kicking and screaming into the pulpit and I said, Not if you really know what God's called you to do. Diana, great, great question. Thank you very much. And you encourage that young man. Let's go to Alex on line one. Alex, thanks for holding you on the air.
5: Howdy, Pastor. Hope you're doing well.
2: I am Alex. Thank you.
5: Good, good. Um, so I was reading Zechariah chapter thirteen recently and I was kind of surprised at some of the language um, surrounding prophets. Um, it, it was, it was um, kind of harsh toward prophets, um, and it made me think this, this does not seem like a normal warning against false prophets. It almost seems like um, the writer is identifying a certain era in, in time, whether it's happened or, well or whether it's coming Um, that, like, all of the prophets will be false. Um, I don't know if that's, like, during the falling away or uh, during a different period, but I was hoping you could give me some clarity on that.
2: Uh, Alex, can you tell me which verse you're talking about, verses in Zechariah 13?
5: Um, you know, I, I'm driving right now. I don't okay. have it in front of me. It was not very far down. So maybe like verse yeah. five or six. Or.
2: Yeah, I think I think I know where you're coming from. Yeah, let me deal with it. And I might have to take the rest of the question all over to the other side of the break. So I'll get started on it and uh, we'll go from there. Zechariah is a wonderful book. I was just talking. I, I got a ride to church yesterday with, with the man in the church. He lives with my neighbor to pick me up uh while well, Paula was gone. And um uh, we were talking about Zechariah and Ezekiel both. Um so um Zechariah, what a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture, but but it's one of, along with Ezekiel, um generally considered the two most difficult books to interpret in scripture. So um he says in verse two Uh, On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord. I remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. Now, clearly, he's talking about false prophets. Um, The the problems that plagued Israel were idolatry and false prophets. Um, Jeremiah dealt with all of this. Uh, so it was uh, idolatry that opened the door for Assyrian Babylon to overrun Israel uh, and Jerusalem uh, in in the first place. So the false prophets, God is very direct with them in terms of condemnation and pronouncing their judgment. Um, there's nothing worse than false hope. And that's what um, both Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Zechariah later would have to deal with. They would give the real word of God and the false prophets prophets were giving the the false word of God so um, judgment comes because people believe not God's true prophets but they believed the false prophets because the false prophets of course always had a message of good news no problem don't worry you can keep doing what you want to do Alex I will pick this up on the other side of the break it's a great question may the Lord bless you 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is the Word to send for Life. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show 340-9585. I'm going to continue with Alex's question about Zechariah. And Alex, you're right when they go uh, when when he transfers from verse 2 to verse 3. Uh, he is going down the corridor of time and space. Let me read the verse. It says, And if anyone still prophesies, his father and mother to whom he was born will say to him, You must die, because you've told lies in the Lord's name. When he prophesies, his own parents will stab him. Now, this this looks all the way down to the millennium. Um, justice, a fulfilling of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, will be carried out. Uh, Deuteronomy eighteen twenty says, a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I've not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. And of course, in the millennium, um, uh, justice will be instant. It will be severe. Um, um Aside from the obvious reference to uh, Antichrist here, um, it, it can be difficult to determine just when this will be filled. Again, in the millennium, it'll be fulfilled perfect, perfectly. But it's likely that this refers to the time near the end of the millennium when Satan is let loose for a time to deceive multitudes of people. You know, it sounds impossible to us that uh, after living with Jesus in perfect justice for a thousand years people will reject him and his word. But there will once again be a devil who deceives, false prophets who deceive, and that's just the way it always is. So, um, those who think they have the gift of being a prophet, or the office of a prophet, we need to be really, really careful because this demonstrates exactly, exactly um, um, how how seriously God takes those people who really say they're speaking for the Lord. We need not to do that. He says, on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his prophetic vision. And it's because that's the day they're going to be judged. He will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. He will say, I'm not a prophet. I am a father. The land has been my livelihood since my youth. Um, and, And there's just a little bit of hope there, Alex, because it appears... That during the time Jesus is actually reigning on earth, uh, some will actually take the rebuke of their parents or even the Lord himself or other uh, believers, those of us who rule away with Jesus, and then they will repent of their sin. So at least that's um, um, the case. And then uh, I, I won't go any further with Zechariah 13, but um, the, the prophecy then goes further into a wonderful time. Um, with the Lord when he appears. Good question, Alex, and you are right. It does um, span a long period of time. Here's a question from Ralph from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor On, I'm a fairly new Christian. My pastor said I cannot take my five and four-year-olds trick-or-treating. Is he right? Um, Ralph, I hate to get in between people and their pastors, uh, but there's nothing biblical about not taking your children trick-or-treating Um, uh, and and it's October now, so I'm going to get this question several times or between now and the end of the month. But one of the things that we need to do is be sure that we're rightly representing the Lord to our children. And by that, I mean, we can take... We can take a pagan holiday, and it is a pagan holiday, and we can Christianize it. And by that, I mean, um, I would, if I had small children... Um, I'd let him dress up like King David or Queen Esther uh, or or uh, Abraham or Elijah, one of the prophets, and, and go trick-or-treating. I wouldn't tell them they couldn't have fun. I'd just tell them, let's take this opportunity to show people on Halloween who Jesus is. So uh, I, I certainly wouldn't dress them up in ghosts or or gory stuff or any of the Halloween costumes that, that the world wears. But I would take that advantage to try to redeem the holiday a little bit. And at the same time, you can show your kids that God is not against fun. So just if, if you want to take him trick-or-treating, there's nothing biblical about it. There are some very legalistic churches and or pastors Who say, nope, it's from the devil and you have to avoid it. Uh, I just think that's way, way, way too extreme and there's no biblical warrant for it. I get the same questions about Christmas and Easter because they have pagan origins. Um, Later, I don't think I'll get to it today, but later I've got a question that came in about Santa Claus. Uh, We want to tell our kids the truth. But at the same time, I just don't think there's any value in saying to your four- and five-year-old kid, and here's what you're saying, no, God doesn't want you to have fun. Let all the other kids have the fun. Make that day a day that can be redeemed for the glory of God. So, Ralph, um, as the Lord leads, do it, and don't um, necessarily worry about it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that was called in from Justine in San Antonio. What happened to those who were born before Jesus after they died? What did they have to do to get into heaven without Jesus? Justine, everybody for for, for all of history gets saved the same way by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, some people didn't have all the information we had. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham, we're told, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how was Abraham saved? He was saved by faith. And what Abraham did, he believed in the promises of God. I like, I like the fact that it didn't say he believed in God. Abraham believed in God and was saved, or, or was credited to righteousness. But he believed God. He took him at his word. And so all of the Old Testament saints that we read about in our Bible, they all believed God, believed what he said, and looked forward to the promises that he made. And the promise, of course, was for a Messiah to come. So I think the easiest way to look at this is is just sort of in a timeline. Um, You you see the cross in the middle of, of time on one side of the cross, um, you know, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve on the other side of the cross. You start in 32 A.D. and and go the rest of history until Jesus returns. And we who are born on our side of the cross, we look back at the cross. I personally believe it's a little easier for us Because we have historical fact, we have overwhelming evidence. We look back at the cross, we view an empty tomb, and we believe and are saved. The people born before the cross, before Jesus uh, became a man, um, they got saved by looking forward to the cross. We know God is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And and maybe, uh, Justine, Hebrews 11 would be a really good chapter for you to read because all of those people died without having received the promise, but they were looking forward to that promise. Uh, Like Abraham, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So everybody gets saved the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ. But all the Old Testament people do is believe God and respond to the the promises that he made, Uh, hold on to those promises. We who are born after the cross and the empty tomb, we look back and believe. But everybody gets saved exactly the same way. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Richard. He said, Will Christians be caught... When the great falling away happens, can I be deceived? And Richard, I'm assuming by being caught, you mean will we be caught up in the deception? Um, The answer to the question is we already see that happening. We already see that happening. Christians are being deceived and the great falling away is a falling away, an apostasy, uh, falling away from the truth. We see that happening now. I've received... um, email information today from people who are believing just crazy things and you think well how can anybody believe that well um, we're getting caught up in the world that we live in uh, let, me, let me go one step farther Richard I tell our church here all the time that any man or woman um, a Christian I'm talking about professing believers if they're not students of their Bible they're going to get caught up in the deception in this apostasia, the falling away. And the reason they're going to get caught up is because of the constant propaganda, the pressure that we're in, the, the saturation of social media, and, and people demanding that we accept whatever it is they want to do. And they're going to win us over if, in fact, we are not rightly dividing the Word of God and holding on to our Bibles for dear life because. It's it's easy. We can all be deceived, and the effort that's being put into deceiving Christians now. Um, I, I just had an exchange um, via email regarding a, a well-known pastor in in Georgia uh, who hosted um, um, a, 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 clearly a very uh, pro or affirming LGBTQ conference, and he's sort of been. Um, non-committal about his position. Um, you know, we could see that he was, that the pastor there was was leaning in that direction. But but he just, he came out of his own closet. Now, he's not gay or anything like that. But he would say at one point, yes, we affirm that, that marriage is between a man and a woman and, and sex should only be had in marriage. But then he says, but all of those people who are now involved in, in committed monogamous same-sex relationships. Well, there's got to be a way for God to accept them. And he had two um, um, active homosexual pastors uh, speaking at his church during this, this uh, three-day conference, um, uh, and he's giving them a platform. Um, they have been caught up in the falling away. Now, only God can judge their hearts. I can tell you that the pastor's... Uh, who said they are in homosexual, active homosexual relationship. They're not going to heaven. They're not really saved. First Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5 make that very clear. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But but whenever you get somebody, well, well God loves them. And if they love each other, what's wrong with that? They're caught up in the apostasy. And and that's already happening, and it's only going to get worse, Richard, as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So here's your last question is the most important part of, of what you said. You said, Can I be deceived? You can be deceived, but you need not be. You've got to hold on to your Bible. You've got to de- declare your Bible. When people start questioning, oh, do you really believe in that? Well, what about this and what about that? You can just say, you know what? This is the anchor for my soul. This is true north for me. This is my compass point. And if we hold on to the word, then we will not be deceived. If we don't hold on to the word, then we're going to be deceived. When we start questioning, well, could it possibly be that God meant that? He meant what he said. He said what he meant. And our job as Christians who call him Lord is to agree with him and do what he says. So, um, Richard, I see that falling away, uh, the apostasy already taking place in our world. Here is an anonymous question. He says, or she says, some people that I led to Christ have turned away from God. Is it my fault for not praying enough for them? It's never your fault for the choice other people make. Understand that. Now, let me say a couple of things. One, I think we all need to be careful when we say, I led somebody to Christ. Um, what we mean is, um, I, I told them about Jesus, and they 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 prayed a prayer or whatever it is. They accepted it, um, but but remember, it's only the Holy Spirit that leads people to Christ. And when He leads them to Christ, they stay in Christ. You know, I've I've prayed with a lot of people who turned out not to be real Christians. Emotional conversions, people that are are in trouble, the guilt and the condemnation and the consequences of their lifestyle choices get them. And, and, you know, the gospel is preached and they, they get saved. At least they make a profession of faith. But, you know, the test becomes real when they leave the church that day or after somebody leaves a conversation with you, Anonymous. So pray for them. But it's not a matter of did I pray enough for them. Um, one of the things I like to tell people once they say yes to Jesus Christ is okay now it's up to you to follow him to learn about him to develop a relationship with him and those are the people that if they will do that in a healthy fear of God those are the people uh, anonymous who won't be uh, turning away uh, from from the commitment of faith that they made so no it's not your fault Uh, you can't Save people, and you can't condemn people. All you can do is scatter seed. The parable of the sower. Our job is to sow seed—the word of God—everywhere that we go. And whatever the people do with them, that is one hundred percent between them and God. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go now to Ray online one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
6: Hi, Pastor Ron. Glad you're doing well. Thank you, Ray. I, I'm puzzled about something. As I grew up and uh, we we managed to get TV entertainment, <laughs> I, I, I was very in tune with uh, mainstream cowboys and Indians, you know? Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, it, it's always puzzled me that... Uh, it, they they uh it, it seems to me as you're saying that since the the native americans uh before they were introduced to anything uh, other than what they had was uh they were very reverent of nature and and the such and i just wonder where 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 they fall in far as far as uh knowing uh, Jesus because I think they were way more reverent than uh, (laughs) the white man (laughs) put it that way (laughs) and I'll listen on on the radio
2: thank you Ray appreciate the question always thoughtful questions you know this is a big question Ray probably just didn't realize it was a big question but it's a big question because what about good people who are raised in different cultures um, the reality is that anybody who claims to know God has got to find out if the God they worship really is God. I mean, that's accountability. That's our responsibility. And I can tell you that uh, it doesn't matter whether they were the, the pygmy from Borneo or, or the people in the deepest, darkest jungles of, of the Amazon or uh, Native Americans. Um, uh, it, 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 anybody who worships anything is God. Has got to deal with the real God, and find out who he is, and so they are accountable. So nobody goes to heaven. And the Native Americans were were reverent. You're going to use your word, Ray. They were reverent of the land, uh, far greater than the, the the people that came in. Uh, but they were reverent of the land because they made their living on it. I mean, they depended on 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 uh, wildlife. They depended on. Um, uh, being able to make their homes and and uh, be in, in uh, uh, communities together. Uh, and so they're reverent. but but the land doesn't save us. You know, doing good things or 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 doing even commendable things, none of that saves anybody. And so what we are responsible to do is find out. Who that God that brings that sun up in the east every morning and when that sun sets in the evening, it's always in the west. The God who brings the seasons. And and believe me, the the Native Americans were were intimately uh, involved in the worship of the earth uh, and and, and the the gods and the mothers of all kinds of things. And uh, Romans chapter one says when we acknowledge there is a designer, a God then it's our responsibility to seek that God. And if we seek him with an honest heart, seek him with diligence or, or earnestly, uh, he will reveal himself to us. And uh, we, we've found that true all over the world. That That is sort of the basis of the, of the missionary movement uh, from the beginning. So um, th- they'll be in heaven if they believed in Jesus Christ. Um, if If not, they won't be in heaven. It's that simple. Three four zero ninety here's a question that was called in from Calvin. It says, in the Bible, what were the... I'm sorry, I can't remember what I'm, I'm seeing, uh, What were the beings with four faces and four wings were the angels? You're talking, Ray, uh, about uh, uh, Ezekiel, most likely, and... Um, Those four faces and uh, four wings, uh, they were they were uh, angels of a very, very high order angels who attended the throne. Of God, they had a message. Their faces um, resembled, uh, or were a picture of, the coming gospel accounts of Jesus Christ. So they were literally pictures of of of, uh, of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, "The the the law and the prophets testify of me." And that was exactly what they were. One was the face of a lion, one was the face of an eagle, one was the face of a a man, and the other the face of a beast of burden. Um, and that—that's that, exactly what the four Gospels. Each of the four Gospels has a different um, perspective or a different point of view in representing Jesus. The eagle, of course, is deity. That's John's Gospel. The man—that's um, Jesus as human. That's Luke's Gospel. Uh, The—the—the servant—that's um, Mark's Gospel. And of course, um, Matthew's Gospel is the Christ or the Messiah. So those beings were that they've got what what appears to be blazing wheels um, it's it's a great passage of scripture. I can tell you one thing uh, Calvin, if you would go to our website CalvarySA.com and go to my Bible study on Ezekiel in that first chapter, uh, I go into a lot of detail uh, about what those things are, uh, and so they were seraphs or cherubim or but but they they were a very special powerful class of angel and they had a message. Good question. I'm glad to I'm glad that you're reading the Prophets Calvin. It's it's interesting and do it. And just for your information, if you're going all the way through the Prophets, um I have an entire commentary written uh for free on our website calvarysa.com. Okay, we're inside 4 minutes now for the program. So uh here's an anonymous question. Should Christians respect other people's pronoun choices? The answer is no. A thousand times no. You know, when we let people change our language, we're not telling the truth anymore. So I will call, this is, I hope this makes sense. I will call anybody by the name they want me to call them. If some guy comes up to me with a beard and he's a great big guy and he says his name is Sue, then I'm going to call him Sue. But if he wants me to call him a her, I'm not going to do that. If they want me to call a her or a he, a they or a them, I'm not going to do that because that's dishonest. So no, and and I hope it will give you the opportunity to open a dialogue. You know, words matter. They and them is plural. When I'm talking to one person, uh, that's a misuse of our English language. And we we can't make those kind of concessions. We surrender the language, then we're going to get caught up in the trap. So no, we should never respect other people's pronoun choices. Um, Again, if somebody wants me to call them by a name that's feminine and they're male or a, a name that's male and they're feminine, I will do that. That's their right. That's their right. Uh, I I, I grew up in the time when when Cassius Clay became Muhammad Ali, and everybody was angry about that. And I thought, what's a big deal? He wants to be called whatever he wants to be called. We got people now, rappers and stuff, that change their name 50 50 Cent. Um, uh, You know, her, H period, E period, R period. That's their choice, and they can do that. But – to change the language is inherently dishonest, and it's just caving in to a woke ideology that is doing more damage than we can possibly imagine. So no, uh, do not respect their pronoun choices. Uh, say, what would you like me to call you? What is your name? And then you can call them by that name. Here's the last question we're going to get uh, 4 to get to today? No. oop, Nope, 36. I only got one minute. I don't have that much time. Okay, let me see if I have a... I don't have any short questions. So um, that, that, I guess that'd be it today. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching. I know everybody's holding their breath. Leviticus chapter 14 and maybe chapter 15. Um, and if you've read it, you're thinking, "Well, there's nothing there." I-, I actually think it's pretty important. So that's tonight at seven o'clock at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You can watch that at calvarysa.com, or you can join us. We we'll always have room on our Wednesday night Old Testament Bible studies tomorrow. Paula will be live in studio with me on the Date Day Show. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM six thirty The Word at four o'clock. We'll see you then.